0: Yeah, I would wear long handles, but I hate the way I feel when I wear long handles. I don't like It's too restraining. You know what I mean? It feels like you're wearing a, some weird thing on your body. I just I like being warm, but I don't want to be warm that bad, you know? Yeah, I just don't I got some that work pretty good, but I just don't like wearing them. But I tell you one thing, these these slacks I got on tonight are thin. Ooh. <laughs> it wasn't close to a brisk wind, it was just cold out there. Well, you got your Bibles handy, ready to go? I got my amen section down here in the front tonight. You guys ready to give me some amenin'? Amen. Come on, let's hear it. Come on, let's warm you up a little bit. Amen. Let's hear a little amen on this side over here. Let's hear a little and over here. Amen. Okay, how about in the middle here? Okay, that wasn't hardly nothing. <laughs> Man, I'd croak if I had to have an amen. How about this side over here? Amen. All right. We have us an amen in section down here. I had to bribe them to get them come down this close. They're afraid I'm going to spit on them. Uh, Anyways, we got them down here right where I can keep an eye on them tonight. Very nice kids, I'll tell you what. They just need pastor to harass them once in a while, don't they? Right? Come on now. There's nothing wrong with that. All right, you got your Bible ready to go? We're in second, First Thessalonians chapter number 2, and I'm going to do 17, 18, and 19, okay? You ready? He says, but we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even Paul, even I, Paul, once and again, notice this, but Satan hindered it. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and our joy. Now, we've been... Working our way through this chapter, and tonight we're all the way down to the last couple of verses. And tonight we're going to talk about joy and rejoicing. We're going to talk about the throb of love in verse 17, the thrust of Satan in verse 18, and the throne of God in verses 19 and 20. Okay? Now, Paul, you'll remember, started the church at Thessalonica in three weeks. He was there three Saturdays, three Sundays, three weekends preached, got people saved, started that church, and then it was run out of town on a rail. Pretty much that's what happened. You know, the Apostle Paul, when he went to a town, it was either a, a riot or a revival. It seemed like there wasn't any in between with him. It was a revival or a riot, one or the other. And he had a group of people that didn't like him. They run him off. Now, uh, Paul writes back to this church, and he's giving them a very simple letter. You know When you read the Bible, a lot of people say, well, if you really want to understand the Bible, people say, well, give them the gospel of John. Let them read the gospel of John. That's great if you're not a believer because the purpose of John is that you would believe. And he gives you eight miracles that proves that Jesus is special. And he says, what are you going to do with that? Pretty much you can trust him as your Savior. You can believe in your heart. And that's what you ought to do. But the purpose of John is for for somebody that's seeking Christ to come to Christ. It's really not a book for a new Christian. 1 Thessalonians is a book for the, for the new Christian because Paul only had three weeks there and he's writing this letter back to him to kind of, to ground him, to disciple him, to mentor him, to help him to become the Christians that they should have become. And so he writes this letter to him and he's kind of, Fill in, in the cracks. In three weeks, how much are you going to teach? Seriously. It would be, it, and, and you know, he taught some things because he says, you remember when I was there, I said this, or when I was there, I, I said that. And, and there's clearly things that he taught, but he's kind of writing back to them and he's, uh, uh, you know, trying to help him grow a little bit spiritually. So he's going to talk a little bit tonight about how much he loves them. And By the way, isn't that great? Aren't you glad the Apostle Paul actually loved these folks? Yeah. If you know somebody loves you, they can talk to you and kind of talk to you a little bit straight. And you know they got your best interest in heart, don't they? So Paul writes to him, And notice the way he starts off. He says, "But but we, brethren. Now notice he includes himself in that statement. He said, we're both brothers in Christ. Brethren is a very wonderful term for a Christian. We're brothers and sisters. Would you agree? We're part of the family of God. And when you call somebody a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ, you're saying, hey, we're all in the same family. Now, notice what he said. Drop back, if you would, to verse, uh, let's look here. Look back to verse number eight. He said, I'm affectionately desirous of you. And we're, we're willing to have imparted into you not only the gospel only, but also our own souls. Notice, because you were dear unto us. You were dear unto us. Now, that's a very similar statement as brethren. Uh, Remember when Jesus came out of the water when he was baptized? This is my beloved. Similar idea to this word dear there. Dear and beloved, very similar word. And basically, it's a, a real sign of affection. So he calls them a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ. And he refers to them as people that were dearly beloved people that were dear unto him okay so paul has a great affection for these people and as you read down through there he says in verse number 17 he says i was i was being taken from you the word taken is a is a word that we would say today i was kidnapped i was kidnapped um Paul basically had to get out of town. You remember when he, when he wants to check on their welfare, he can't go back there. He wasn't allowed back in Thessalonica. He had to send Timothy back to check on him because Paul was kind of thrown out on his ear and said basically, don't ever come back. So he says, I was taken from you. I was kidnapped, that's the word. He said, I was kidnapped from you for a short time. Uh, We might say it this way. I was taken from you for a season. We got four seasons in every year, right? Summer, winter, spring, fall, right? He said, I was taken from you for a season. So he doesn't intend on it being forever. He just thinks it's gonna be for a short period of time. And so Paul said, I was taken from you. I was kidnapped from you for a season. And he goes on, in presence, not in heart. Now, I may not physically be able to be there, but it doesn't mean my heart's not there. So Paul is really telling these folks how much he cares about them, how much he loves them. He says, I can't see you right now. I was kidnapped. I was taken. But the bottom line is, I'm still there in my heart. Now, let's keep reading. Let's see what else he says. He goes on. Endeavoring the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. That word desire is an interesting word because it's the same word that's translated many times, lust. <laughs> Remember the old song, hunk a hunk burning love. <laughs> How many, am I the only one that remembers that song? A hunk a hunk of burning love. That's what he's basically, that's the word that he's using. He said, man, I have tremendous lust for you. I have passionate desire for you. He said, I want to see you again. So let me ask you a question. Does How many want to bet that the apostle Paul loved these folks and there was obvious in the way that he writes to them and the way that he acted around them? So Paul starts off by saying, I'm really, I'm out of sight, but I'm not out of mind. I'm, I may not be there physically, but I'm there emotionally. I still love you. I still care about you. And he proves to them his love. Now, look at what he, what he blames it on. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, Notice this, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. Satan hindered us. Now, put your finger here for a moment, and I want you to turn back to the book of Acts. Just turn back to the book of Acts, chapter 17. Let's look there just for a second. The book of Acts. Let's look there in the scriptures. This is the story of when Paul went to Thessalonica. And we're looking in chapter 17. Let's start about verse number one. Okay, you got it? You got it over there? You ready to look? All right, let's look and see what it says. Now, when they had passed through Pamphylia, Amphilius, and uh, Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. That's the town I'm wanted. And there was a synagogue of the Jews. Now, you remember a synagogue was a, a meeting place. It's a place where they did all kinds of things, a community center, a place they worshiped on Saturday, a place they taught Hebrew during the week. A synagogue was kind of a catch-all, all right? It'd be like having a gym in the back, okay? So he says, I, I, I came there, and there was a synagogue of the Jews. Now, Paul, being a rabbi, could always get an audience because when he got ready to speak, he could tell them what his credentials were. I studied under the feet of Gamaliel, and they would go, woo because everybody had heard about him. So Paul could always get kind of an invite to teach because he was a well-known rabbi in his day. And he goes on, it says, and, and Paul, as his manner was, went unto them, that's those Jews, and he was there for three Sabbaths and he reasoned with them out of the scriptures. Basically, he's using Old Testament passages to prove that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. That's all he's doing. He's showing the spots in the Old Testament where Jesus Christ is clearly portrayed as the anointed one of Israel. Okay? Let's keep reading. He goes on. He says, opening and alleging that Christ must needs suffer and risen again from the dead, that, that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. He's the Messiah. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and other devout Jews, a great multitude, and of a chief women, not a few. So he's telling you the people that got saved there. But when the Jews, which believed not, they were moved with envy, they took unto them certain lewd fellows of a baser sort. Don't you love the way the King James reads like that? Lewd fellows of a baser (laughs) sort. I'm glad my wife didn't say that to me when we asked for a date. I will not date you because you're a lewd fellow of a baser sort. <laughs> that would have been tense. <laughs> would you agree? He goes on. He says, uh, gathered a company and said, all the city in an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason. That was the one that was having the church in his house and sought to bring them out of the people. And when they found them, not they drew Jason, certain of the brethren of the rulers of the city, saying that these have turned the world upside down and have come hither also, whom Jason received and... These all do contrary to the degrees of Caesar. That was a lie, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the others, they let them go. So they do some political shenanigans. They get these guys all riled up. They cause a big mob scene. And bottom line is, Paul kind of says, all right, best thing for me to hit the road. And that's probably the reason that Jason was released out of jail, all right? Now, let me, let me help you. When Satan hindered him in this particular instance, when Paul was originally hindered by Satan in Thessalonica, it was due to the Jewish elite. It was due, due to the religious organization of the Jews. It was done by organized religion. Y'all catching that? And by the way, organized religion will fight uh, the cause of Christ. There's no doubt about that. But notice the Bible says that Satan hindered us. That word hindered is an interesting word. It's the idea of to cut in on. Paul asked the Galatian church, he said, it seems like you guys, your stride was cut in on. You started out in grace and now you've gone back to works. You've gone back to Jewish legalism. He said, who cut in on your stride? This word would be, who hindered you? So it's the idea of a runner. How many remember many years ago, there was a girl that used to run for South Africa and her name was Zoe Budd, I think her name was. And she ran with no shoes, she ran barefoot. And she was running in the 880 back in those days, half a mile. And some gal tripped her and she fell down and the race was over. Here the the person that should have won the race was tripped. We'd say, who hindered you? Who cut in on your stride? That's the idea right there. So he says, Satan comes along and, and Satan will cut in on your stride. Now, let me ask you a question this evening. Have you ever felt like Satan cut in on your stride? You ever feel like Satan was hindering you? Amen. By the way, in the scriptures, that's a pretty obvious thing. Uh, There's no doubt in the book of Job. Did Job ever face any hindrance from Satan? Yeah, why don't you read the first couple of chapters? Now, one great thing about a Christian is, and one of the wonderful things is, that Satan always has to have God's permission. Nothing happens to me that doesn't happen to me out of the permissive hand of God. Satan can only go so far. God said, all right, you can do this much, and you got to stop. And then he came back to him. and He said, all right, you can do this much, but you can't kill him. How many remember the story? Satan hindered him. He cut in on his stride. Uh, Paul, one of the great things I love about the Apostle Paul, Paul doesn't mince words at all. When it comes time to naming names and, <laughs> and taking scalps, he's pretty good at doing that. Let me show you a passage that maybe you've never thought about. Look over to the book of 2 Timothy for a second. Let's look at 2 Timothy. You're you're in in 1 Thessalonians. Let's look at 2 Timothy just for a second. 2 Timothy, let's look at chapter number 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look down to about verse number 8. Now, Paul is the context of 2 Timothy chapter 3 is... Paul's talking about in the last days there'll be perilous times. There's gonna be harsh times that come. And one of the things he says that's gonna make the harsh times harsh, savage times savage, is the fact there's gonna be false teachers. There's gonna be people that come into the church and hinder the church because they don't teach the truth. And look at what Paul does. He names these dudes he talks about an Old Testament example. He says, now, when Janus and Jambres withstood Moses. I'm in chapter 3, verse 8. You got it? How many see it now in the Bible? He says, when Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do those who resist the truth. He said, "They're men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. Now, question would be, who are those two guys? How'd you like to get, he uses an example from the Old Testament with two dudes that gave Moses a pain in the rear. Now, who were those two dudes? Aren't you glad you came to church? Come on, this is a yes, this is a no. Do you know who they are? You said, that's why we came to church. All right. Look back to Exodus chapter 7. Let me show you these two birds. Let me show you who they are. Now, how many of you know that in the Bible, when you study the Bible, there are different commentaries that are written about the Bible? Do you know that? You can go to any Christian bookstore and buy any kind of commentary you want. You know, some of the most interesting commentaries on the Old Testament are written by Jewish people that aren't necessarily believers. Because they tell you a lot of Jewish history. They tell you Jewish tradition. And the Bible uh, doesn't mention their name here, but the Jewish commentary say, you want to know who Jambus and Jambri was? I'm going to show you right here. Exodus chapter 7, look at verse number Oh, look down to verse 11. Pharaoh calls, well, let's read 10. Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and they did as the Lord had commanded them and Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants and it became a serpent. Now, you would have to admit under normal circumstances that would get your attention. Throw your rod down and it becomes a viper. Yes or no? Now, me personally, I'll see you. I, I don't need to hang around snakes. I'm not a snake lover. It turns into a viper, probably a cobra, because that's probably the snake that they were most familiar with. So notice what happens. The Bible says in verse number um, 11, Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers and the magicians. Most of your Jewish commentaries will point out that Jambres and Jambres were those magicians. Notice what they do. They did in like manner with their enchantments. They throw down their rods, and their rods become snakes. Now, if I was Moses, I'll just be real honest with you. About right now, I'm starting to get a little antsy. We're having a snake contest. Would you agree? And if you keep reading on, the Bible's going to tell you that Aaron's rod eats up those magician rods. Now, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Let me show you another passage just a couple of verses away. Look down to verse number 20. Moses and Aaron did so, and God God commanded, lift up his rod, and the waters that were in the river and the sight of Pharaoh and the sight of the servants and all the waters that were in the river were turned into blood. Now, you got to remember, they worshiped the Nile River. The Nile River was the lifeblood of the nation of Egypt. If you look back in those days, all their farming was done up and down the banks of the the Nile River because that's the only water source they had. Most everybody lived along the sides of the river because you have to have water to live. And it turns into blood. Now notice what happens in the next verse. And the magicians, who do you think that is, Pastor? I wouldn't be surprised if that's none other than Jambres and Jambres. Same dudes. They go down to the river, and the Bible says these magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened. So these magicians, these evil dudes, these followers of Satan were trying to hinder the great Moses. Isn't that interesting? So Satan hindering people isn't a New Testament concept. It's also an Old Testament concept. Isn't that something? Now, I I don't know how much further you want to go with this, but I could go back and I could talk to you about the book of Numbers. I could go to a guy named Balaam. How many remember the dude that the donkey spoke to him? The Jewish commentaries teach that the Bible says that, that, that Balaam and his two servants... Went on that ride with that talking donkey. And guess who the Jewish commentaries say those two dudes were that were his servants. You say, Pastor, how does all that work? Well, I'll go back in the scriptures just for a second. Do you remember that when the children of Israel came up out of Egypt, that there was a mixed multitude that came with them? There was a group that wasn't saved and that group was a pain in their backside for the rest of the trip. And the Bible indicates that probably that that's where these two guys, these guys were a pain in Moses' rear, not just in Pharaoh's court, but all along the way. Isn't that interesting? So the scripture says that Satan can hinder us. I don't have time to spend all night on this, but I can prove to you out of the book of Daniel that Satan's team can hinder your prayer life. They delayed the answer of a prayer for 21 days. That's what the Bible says in Daniel chapter 10. There's a lot of interesting things in the scriptures. You know, most of us, And I'm not being ugly. I'm just kind of using me as an example. Uh, Let me say, that Phil, most of the time I'm just fat, dumb, and stupid. I go through life, take things at face value, and just keep on trucking. How about you? And most of the time I don't realize that there's a spiritual warfare going on and there's a battle out there. And the problem is, is, the Bible says we don't just wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities and powers. Now, the great thing about the Apostle Paul that I think he has a way over me, is that he recognized it was Satan hindering him. I do the process of elimination. Well, this went wrong and that went wrong and that went wrong and that went wrong and and maybe Satan's giving me a hard time. Come on, you ever done that? By the process of elimination, maybe there's a battle going on here. Paul said, "I would have come to see you, but Satan cut in on my stride." Now, what does Satan do to us? How does Satan hinder the Christian? You ever think about that? Let me give you a couple of things. One thing that Satan does to us—he's always lying to us. John eight forty four says that Satan's a murderer and he's been a liar since the very beginning. Every time he speaks, it's kind of like Bill Clinton. Every time his mouth moves, he's lying. Come on, that was a joke. I only got a few Republicans laughs there. Yeah, I thought that was pretty clever. If you're a Democrat here, yeah, the bottom line is every time Trump's mouth moves, (laughs) who cares? Who cares? Bottom line is Satan does lie to us, doesn't he? You ever believe Satan's lie? This won't hurt. I'll get by with this. Nobody will ever know. You ever found out that's not true? I was teaching out of Galatians chapter 5 this morning. You sow to the flesh. The Bible says you reap corruption. That's a principle in God's word that you cannot change. And Satan would have you believe it's not true. Satan would have you believe that you can get by with it because he's a liar. Satan lies to us. I'd say that Satan blinds the minds of an unbeliever. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. You know, the problem with some unbelievers is they just can't understand the gospel because their mind is blinded. It can't be that easy. It can't be that simple. There's no way that you can be saved by grace. Their mind's blinded. Scripture teaches that Satan can masquerade in a, in a costume of light. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. The Bible says he can transform himself. Kind of scary, isn't it? Jesus said that he can come as a wolf in sheep's clothing. I could keep going. He does lying signs and wonders. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. He tempts us to sin, Matthew chapter 4, just like he did Jesus. He plucks the word of God out of our hearts and he chokes faith according to Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. He can cause some sickness. He can cause some disease. Go back and read Luke chapter 13 and verse 16, Jesus had a woman that had been bound for 18 years. The Bible says bound by Satan. Think about that. Some sickness is caused by Satan. Do you realize that? Here Paul says that Satan fights the plans of a missionary. Paul says, I would have come to you sooner, but... Satan's hindered me. One of the things I learned many years ago, talking to a missionary in northern Thailand, he finally he came to the spot in his life where he said, "You know, Phil, the thing I've learned on the mission field is that everything I do happens because of prayer. Everything I do happens in." answer to the prayers and recognizing my my battle is not a battle I can see. It's an invisible battle and I've learned that the only thing that lasts here and the only thing that does any good is me praying and then God working. Interesting thought. I think that's probably true in America too. Come on amen corner down here in the front. Yeah. Now, let's go back to Thessalonians, and let's see what that scripture says in chapter 2. Paul says, hey, bottom line is, he said, I would have come to you, but Satan cut in on me. He said, Satan has hindered me. Now let's look at verse 19 and 20 because he's gonna talk here in this passage about his crown and rejoicing. So let's spend a little time there. Look Look at the throne of God or the throne of Christ. Verse number 19, he says, what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Are ye not, I gotta read it right. Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Now, what's the next major event that's gonna take place in the world? What's the next huge major event? By the way, it's called the rapture of the church. Is Jesus coming again? Absolutely. And he basically says, hey, there's coming a time that we're gonna stand in the presence of Jesus Christ. And he says, when I get there, my joy, my rejoicing, my crown isn't anything other than you. Think about that. What are you going to rejoice in when you stand before Jesus Christ? That you drove a nice car? That you lived in a big house? That you had a nice retirement? Do you really think that's going to matter? He says the bottom line is, My rejoicing isn't on any of my accomplishments, on any accolades I've received in life. It's you standing in his presence. $64 question. I wonder if we'll have any rejoicing when we get there. There's only a couple of things in this world that's eternal one is the word of God, and the other is people. And Paul says, hey, you're my crown. You're my re- rejoicing. You're my hope. You're my joy. What will we rejoice in when we get to heaven? The word glory is an interesting word. I want you to look at verse number 20. It says, for you are our glory. How many have ever heard the word Doxology. That's the word right there. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Been a long time since I've been singing. Somebody said, it needs to be a lot longer the next day. (laughs) It's the idea of praising God. He says, you are our glory. You are our joy. Folks, let me ask you a question. What will be your praise, your glory, and your joy when you stand before God? The only thing you'll have is people that you impact with the gospel. I preached this morning about the fact that the Holy Spirit came to change us. You know what he changed? The fact he took cowards and made them witnesses. The fact that he took people that were lock-jawed and all of a sudden they began to tell people about Christ. Folks, that's the the deal. The Spirit of God doesn't come so we can have a blast, jumping pews, running the the church, handling snakes, speaking in tongues. No, the reason that God gave us the Spirit is so that we could be bold witnesses of Jesus Christ. I wonder what we'll have when we stand before God. Kind of an interesting thought, isn't it? Amen. Years ago when I was on a missions trip in Hong Kong, I was preaching in a church, a very unusual church. This church was a Filipino made church. The Chinese people have a lot of money and they 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 have maids that come in and watch their children, clean their house, do all the stuff, go shopping the whole bit, take kids to school. Everywhere you go in Hong Kong, you'll see somebody on a bus or somebody on the, on the train as you go along and you, they've got a bunch of kids and it's always a Filipino woman with a Chinese child and that's her job, to make sure he gets to school. I preached in that church and It was a really unusual church because that particular church had about 300 women. And when they sang songs, it sounded like a ladies' choir. It was really incredible. I mean, it it was just like singing birds. I mean, it was just beautiful in there. And there was, I counted, 12 men. 12 men. Over 300 women. And I, I watched it very intently because I had never been in such a lopsided church before. It came time to take up the offering and, and we had lady ushers. Makes kind of sense to me. That's all you got. That's what you use, right? It didn't use the deacons or they didn't use the men of the church. They used the ladies of the church because they didn't have any men. And when it's, when the choir special came, it was all gals. No bass section. No bass section. They did really good with tenor, alto, and, and sopranos, but no bass section. When it came time to lead in prayer, the old missionary, it, this guy had been there for a long time. Him and his wife just loved those gals. He led in prayer. And when it came time to preach, he did the preaching. And after it was over, uh, Actually, that particular day, he asked me to preach, and I preached, and and so when it was all said and done, I had these little gals come up to me, and it's one of those situations that's a little different. I personally think this is a little funky, but it's one of those churches where they all want your signature, and after you get done preaching, you look in their Bible, and they've got, you know, like 50 or 60 people that signed their Bible, some preacher that's been through town, and... And I said, you sure you really want my signature? <laughs> yeah. I said, you'll never know who I am. <laughs> Anyways, I, I signed a bunch of those Bibles. And then those little gals began to talk to me. And they said, where are you from? They'd say, well, I'm from Luzon. Where do you live in Luzon? They'd tell me the place. And I said, have you ever heard of a missionary? I named a missionary. And they said, yeah, that's a missionary that led me to Christ. And then I went a little step further and I talked to another gal and another gal, she told me where she was from. I said, do you know missionary that's named such and such that's on that particular line? Oh yeah, that's the missionary that led me to Christ. When it was all sitting down, I had six or eight of these gals that had been led to Christ by missionaries that we had supported in our ministry through the years. And these little gals shook my hand. they said, oh pastor, thank you for supporting so those missionaries. If it wasn't for those missionaries coming, we would have never been saved. By the way, do you think maybe heaven's going to be kind of cool when we get there and find out the kind of impact that we had of people that we didn't even know? Paul said, You're my crown of rejoicing, you're my joy, you're my glory, my doxology. He said, when I get to heaven, I'll be praising God for you. You can admit that's pretty cool. Come on. Right. Amen. You know, I said this in my Sunday school class this morning. There's only one good thing I can see on Facebook besides my grandchildren. I do like seeing them. But I've reconnected with some people that I've known from years gone by that have wrote me and Thank me for leading them to Christ. Or thank me. I got one the other day. It was absolutely incredible. I had a young guy that I led to Christ, him and his wife. And their name was Brett Nancy Holloman. And they got saved. I remember the night I went over to their house and got the gospel and talked to them about Christ. I baptized them in the church. And she sent me a picture of Brett preaching in that old church way back when and his church that he goes to now has now taken that on like a satellite and he was preaching behind the pulpit area where I used to preach to him 30 plus years ago now I'll be real honest with you that was kind of cool kind of cool you see what Paul's saying There's going to come a time where those people you've impacted and influenced for good, for God, for the gospel. And you'll say, you're my crown. You're my praise. It was worth it all. You know, I don't know about you, but there's been a few times when I got weary and well doing and I pretty much almost fainted and God says no just keep on trekking you'll reap if you faint not that's old paul let's pray heavenly father we're grateful tonight that